Today's reading is Luke 19, verses 1 to 10. It can be found on page 968 of the Bibles next to your seats as well as on the screen. This is God's word. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So... He ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, he has gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, look, Lord. Here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save what was lost. The word of the Lord. Let's pray. Our gracious God, as we open up these words, this story, um, and look to it, and as we move towards also the communion table in a little bit, as we look to these things, we're looking to you, and we're looking for your grace, your mercy, your tender love to, um, to show up into our lives to be something we can grab hold of, that we can receive. And we sit here with uh, experiences too numerous to count. Um, we have troubles in our lives and we have joys in our lives. We um, sometimes walk into a place like this and the idea of grace and of your grace uh, is very tangible and just filled with life. And other times it we don't even know what it means. We, we, it feels so far away. And sometimes we sit here, we, we feel a million miles away. We might come into this place with, you know, with all kinds of doubts, not, not really grabbing hold of any of the words or, or songs that we've had so far in this service. And others might sit here just brimming with thanksgiving and confidence and, and an appreciation for what they've seen in their lives, how they've seen you, God, in their lives. And from all these places, we look now to your grace to meet us. We look for something that we can say. We walk out of here and we say, we saw you. We heard your voice. We, we experienced something of you that was from the outside and was good and landed in a space in our life where we needed you. And we all need you much more than we care to admit. And so we look to the promise that comes over and over in your scripture that you move towards need needy lives and needy people, lost lives, and you come and you don't ask us to, to climb up to you. You actually arrived down into our earth and experienced the pain and trouble yourself so that we might come home. And we pray that you meet us with that grace now in this time. Amen. And the question of the week last week was, what's an advantage of being short Anybody have, have answers, answers to that? Advantage, and people start looking around at the shorter people, right? 
what's an advantage of being short. And I, I remember as a kid, very distinctly, weaving through crowds of giant people, right? <laughs> like, the, the, and, and I see my kids do it, and I think, uh, you know, a, a child doesn't realize how much, you know, the, the grown-ups are actually kind of moving out of the way and very aware. As a kid, you think no one even sees that you're weaving through this crowd. Um, you think you're just getting, getting away with it, and the grown-ups are all trying not to break a hip and fall. What are the advantages of being short? Um, airplanes, airplanes. Wow, yeah, airplanes. Yes. Don't have to have the exit row. There's a couple of answers from last week. Fitting into tiny places, cars, caves, <laughs> etc. Somebody else said, many opportunities to ask for help to reach items in high places. Yeah. Short. You know, there's this movie, movie called Zootopia. Um, Zootopia, it's all about these animals. It's an animated picture. We saw it at the drive-thru with my kids. You know, all these different animals in this big urban area, and they all play these different roles, and there's a lot of comic relief, like the, at the DMV, you know, who, which animals work at the DMV is the sloths, you know, and they're... And they're painfully slow. One of the characters is the mob boss. You know, this, this, this scary guy who everyone, you know, he's powerful and, every, and he's feared and everybody talks about him in the criminal world. He's this, just this terrible, scary guy and his, his character is cast in the image of those mob bosses of the mafia movies that, that you've seen and he's called Mr. Big. And what, who's he played by? But it, this, the character is a a tiny arctic shrew. <laughs> and he's guarded by these massive polar bears. And he's Mr. Big. And he's the mob boss. Right? So he's actually very small, but he has overcome his small reputation with big power and big protection. He has compensated for his smallness. So, so what about you? Do you ever feel small? Not just that you maybe are, are, are short or height challenged, but have you ever felt short? Have you ever felt small or in some way insignificant? Have you ever felt like you fall short and maybe in some way in, in your life, have you ever looked at your life in terms of... Um, Maybe what, vo what voice do I have in my life that tells me I'm not enough? And so I'm, a lot of what I do, I'm compensating for that voice. I'm trying to answer that voice. I, I'm not enough. I'm small. Um, Romans chapter 3 says, this has this, this verse that says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So apparently, spiritually speaking, that the Bible wants you to see that as a condition that we all have. We're all kind of in this condition, in this place. And um, tax collectors in Jesus' day were ones who... The, in the public eye, everyone saw them. Everyone kind of publicly agreed that they fell short. Because the Jewish citizens looked at them and sized them up and said, 
they are they are insignificant. They are they are small in character. They are the ones who stand in between the Romans who who demand the taxes and the Jewish people um, who it needs to be collected from. So tax collectors were sort of these uh, the sense of it being a traitor. You know, everyone uh, disliked them. And Zacchaeus was such a person. Zacchaeus was one of these tax collectors. The people of the day, like especially the more religious, uh, perfectionist people of the day, viewed tax collectors as, as unclean spiritually even, um, really having this taint on them. This, we all look at them and just kind of say, they just, they just aren't enough. They fall short. We're all sort of disgusted by them, and we put them in a place. Zacchaeus was one of those people, and to top it all off, Zacchaeus actually was tiny. Zacchaeus was short. He, and, and so he had, uh, you could put it, look at it this way, he had aggressively worked to accumulate bigness and wealth and power to make up for um, perhaps a connection that was frequently made by the people around him, the citizens around him who didn't like him, and they probably eagerly used his height as a ridicule piece as they were eager to put him down to size. Poor guy. Uh, 2,000 years later, kids like myself are still growing up. Uh, I, I, I remember sitting in a basement of a church learning the song about him. Zacchaeus was a wee little man. Right? Poor guy. 2,000 years later, that's still, that's still what's going on. And a wee little man was he. He climbed up in a sycamore tree for the Lord he wanted to see. Zacchaeus. And no matter how successful and powerful and wealthy, he still couldn't avoid being that, the fact that he was still a small man. But something's going on with that. Something's going on with that inner voice that Zacchaeus probably had that said your size is a reflection of your inner size, your inner measurement. Something was going on with that because he was interested in Jesus. He was climbing that tree. He was trying to get a look. He was intrigued. Perhaps his heart was starting to soften. There was starting to be some other voices in his head that were doubting his current approach of finding his bigness. Doubt was creeping in that his compensation system was maybe flawed. And so Zacchaeus, this small man who falls short, is having some kind of, in this story we read, then he, he has this dramatic, this astonishing, really, transformation where this wealthy person wakes up. The text says he's very wealthy. He's a chief tax collector, so he's done very well for himself, but he's now waking up, and the wake-up call is very clear as you're reading it, this sudden liquidation of his things. So something uh, crazy is happening, something you could never predict is happening. He is, and, and Jesus even spoke just before this in Luke about how unusual this is. And he's, Jesus talks a lot about this, how unusual it is for a wealthy person to 
be awakened to God's reality and actually be transformed in this kind of way. So this is very unusual. You know some of the stories like a camel, it's easier for a camel to get through an eye of a needle than a, a rich person to get into the kingdom of heaven. Jesus is saying here that Zacchaeus has, has come into the kingdom of heaven um, and he is wealthy, we read. So something very unusual has happened with Zacchaeus. And so it's part of it is saying like, what has happened? Because it doesn't really, we don't really... I don't know if you saw something I didn't see, but in this text, there's not something really, really obvious that says, now here's why Zacchaeus had this switch. Um, L. Gregory Jones is a theologian that writes um, a lot about forgiveness, actually. And this is one thing he says, Jesus enacts forgiveness in diverse ways. And, And so just see if this might be what Zacchaeus is going through. He enacts forgiveness in diverse ways, perhaps most clearly in his table fellowship with tax collectors and sinners. Table fellowship was seen as a sign not only of communion among people, but also of communion in the sight of God. Thus, because the cultically impure were welcomed at Jesus' table, they were implicitly included in a relationship of communion with God. Is that what happened in this story? Jesus goes and has a meal with him. Um, the, the song continues. For the Lord he wanted to see. And then it goes, I'm, I think I'll get it right. Someone could correct me if you know it. Um, and um, so something about, and then the, as the Savior passed, good, thank you. Passed his way, he looked up in the tree, um, and, and he said, Zacchaeus, you come down, for I'm going to your house today, for I'm going to your house today. Right? As the Savior passed that way, he looked up in the tree, and he said, Zacchaeus, you come down. I'm going, to your, I'm, I'm going to your house today. We inherently, the default drive of our heart with God is we want to climb up to God. And Jesus says, get down. Stop trying to climb up to me. I'm going to come into your world. I'm going to come down to you. That's how this works. Zacchaeus could... Zacchaeus was probably ready for something new to change. And Jesus makes it clear, it's not going to be you coming to me and getting, it's not going to be like the old way, Zacchaeus. That's the non-God life. That's the you life. It's going to be you, it's going to be me coming into you and me, me compensating for you. I'm going to make you big. You're not going to make yourself big in some new way, new religious way. Oh, you've done the world wealth accumulation way. Now come into the church and do the religious accumulation way and build yourself up. No, get down off that tree. I'm coming to your house today. So Jesus is our compensation. What a relief. Do you, do you want that? If you're a Christian, you could ask yourself, 
is there evidence that that's, that that's happening? Is there evidence that I'm, kind of, I'm giving up on the things that I was using to build myself up and get big? And I'm letting God be big. I'm letting Jesus on the cross be big for me. I'm letting the perfection of Jesus be big in my place because I'm imperfect. So for Zacchaeus, Jesus has ended the compensation game and ushered in a new grace game. There's no more need to accumulate. Wealth and power are disappointing counterfeits. They're, they're uh, shabby second-hand replacements for the compensation that God makes as he awakens us to his grace. And we now have in our life God's assets. That's what the gospel tells you. You are big. You are a somebody, but not because of yourself, because Jesus is God's way of graciously building you up. And when the penny drops, when the, when, when the gospel clicks, and when you have a Zacchaeus moment where you come down from that tree, um, transformation, change can happen. Things that, that, that don't make sense. You know, that it's like it only makes sense if it's a gospel thing. You know, you don't know it till you see it kind of a thing. You know, in hip-hop, what do they say? They say, real, recognize, real. Any hip-hop people? No? Real, recognize, yeah, yeah? Real, recognize, real. In the church, it's like gospel, recognize, gospel. It's like, the, it's like I know, I know. It's surprising how verse I am at hip-hop things, but... It's a little distracting to bring that up, I know. What is it? Yeah? All right. Gospel recognize gospel? Maybe? It's this idea that, like, you, you know, you, you can't make it up. You can't manufacture the gospel's effect on people's life. You can just see things and you go, huh, that doesn't make sense. Huh, a person who's been accumulating wealth suddenly pulling this, the plug out of their bank account and letting it just drain. Huh. That's gospel. I think I see gospel there. T Tim Keller says in his book, The Power of Money, he says, if we do not give away our money in remarkable proportions, we have not grasped um, or are not currently remembering Christ's generosity in saving us. Let's put it more starkly. You will always give effortlessly to that which is your salvation, to those things which give your life meaning. If Jesus is the one who saved you, your money flows easily to his work, his people, his causes. If, however, your real religion is your appearance or your social status, personal comfort or pleasure, your money flows most easily into those items and symbols. I was at a conference a week ago, and I, I recognized gospel in what was, someone was talking about. I saw it in this pastor who had started a church and it had done really, really well for 25 years and, and it had been big and lots of people and three church services a week to be able to accommodate all the people that were coming. And he, it's, he lived in Denver. His name is Sean Sycama and he was pastor of this church and, and it was in this suburban, well-to-do part of Denver and um, it was time to transition away from that. And so he prayed and his, he and his wife tried to understand what is next for us? What is God leading us to do? He spends six months, nine months figuring this out. And he decides, he feels called, that God is calling him to 
to minister on Colfax Street, which is like a skid row kind of street in Denver where there's all these motels that are um, where people stay and they pay weekly rent. And it's a place where people coming out of prison are actually accepted. And there's prostitution that happens out of the, this street on Colfax and, there's, and out of these rooms. And there's drug dealing that's going on. There's drug addiction that's going on. There's uh, mental illness is rampant. And so he decides af- where from this position of having um, a, a really well-paid job and being kind of a big deal to a lot of people to go and do this. And then the clincher really is they decide that what he's going to do, he's got his suburban home in Denver. He's going to move out of that home and he and his wife are going to actually move into one of these uh, motel rooms on Colfax and move in and divest. And then he tells this funny story that as he's getting to know people and he meets this great couple, and this is all very fresh like in the last year, and he meets this one couple that are kind of like, they're also believers, and, and um, it gets to be where, where they pray with each other once in a while when he stops by and he's with them. And they ask him what he needs prayer for, and he brings up how he's trying to figure out how to finance doing this job. You know, it's different than when you got a church of a whole bunch of people supporting you. So what's, what's he going to do to finance doing this? What's his income going to be? And he just brings that up to these people who are, this couple who is, is just, um, you know, they've, they've got smiles on their faces, but they're, they're scraping by this couple that he's praying with. And, and they pounce on praying excitedly for him to, um, you know, for God's flood of resources to come into his life. Somebody who, has a, who really has a lot of resources to fall back on, these people who don't, and they're praying for him, for God to unleash the floodgates of resources onto this man. It was very humbling, he says, but it's an example of gospel. You see, you see what happened to Zacchaeus. You see what happens to, in these stories of this Sean Sikama guy and then the people he's praying to. You can't fake once God has become big for you. No longer are you so concerned about what you get, what you have, there's this um, unflappable trust pervading. Have you seen it? Have you sensed it? Do you want it? Do you want what's happened in Zacchaeus's life? Are you intrigued? Are you ready? Let's pray. Our God of grace, as we um, imagine your grace and as we try to get in touch with your grace and as we move towards your table of grace. Um, Would you help us to see you right where we need to see you and experience you in our lives? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.